Welcome to the Beaver Legends series with Tim Barnum. Welcome to the first Beaver Legends podcast of 2023. I'm joined for this episode by Professor Sidney Ricketts, who during his career worked as a stud vet at Rossdale's in Newmarket. At the same time, Sidney was instrumental in the early development of what became one of the most respected equine laboratories in the world. I hope you enjoy his fascinating and inspiring story. Professor Sidney Ricketts, thank you very much for agreeing to do the Beaver Legends podcast uh, today. So my first question to everybody is, uh, how does a boy from Horsham in Sussex um, decide he wants to be a vet? Uh, and why in particular uh, did he decide you wanted to work with horses? Well, firstly, thank you very much for giving me this very great honour. Um, why did I want to uh, become a vet and work with horses? I first told my parents that uh, I wanted to be a veterinary surgeon age seven. And uh, they were very pleased and supportive and helped to organise me spending time uh, down in Sussex, which was at that time very much a farming and agricultural community um, uh, with farmers uh, of all sorts, from cattle, sheep, pigs, poultry, and uh, then uh, with veterinary surgeons looking after small animals during my school holidays. Um, I was lucky enough to have a local excellent grammar school which um, provided teaching and guidance which made examination success possible. Um, I gained access to Bristol Veterinary School, which local vets had advised was the one to uh, uh, go for in those days. I managed to gain one of 33 places when I uh, joined the school. At Bristol Veterinary School, they had wonderful mentors and excellent teaching, both theoretical and practical. Um, they had a wonderful foster vet system at Bristol which um, uh, I had a super foster vet, Di Williams at Salisbury, um, John George Wright's old practice at Salisbury, now Endale Equine Hospital. And he was very much a, a, a practical um, farming mixed practice um, veterinary surgeon of high calibre, both as a clinician and as a teacher, he was an external examiner at the Bristol Veterinary School. And he was a very friendly man and welcomed me to both the practice and his family. And uh, we got on extremely well. But I've, at that time, I th thought my future would be undoubtedly with dairy farming. But he looked after two excellent um, equine stud farms in the area and I soon um, decided that this was magical and uh, 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 switched my interest to equine stud medicine. He recommended that I saw my specialist practice at Rosdale's in Newmarket, the new Rosdale's equine practice of Peter Rosdale and Michael Hunt. And Amazingly, Michael uh, 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 agreed to have me see practice with him, which I later realised was a real honour. Um, and amongst many, many other things, I saw 36 normal foldings in three weeks in, in days before the mobile telephone. I was lucky enough to have a small Austin A30, which I used to pop around with and sleep in the stud groom's sofas in the folding boxes. And um, uh, I, I, that was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I immediately thought that I'd died and gone to heaven. And from then on, this was my aim in life. At Bristol Veterinary School, John David, who taught equine reproduction, and I got on very well, and he recommended that I applied for a Turon Fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania um, and explained all about that. And um, So what was that fellowship, the Turon Fellowship? 
John Turon and his wife um, was a military man um, involved in the Second World War, fell in love with the United Kingdom and uh, decided that he would um, sponsor his, his wife was from the Dupont family, and he, um, they decided that they would sponsor 15 uh, students from the University of Pennsylvania to come and spend a year um, at a university in the United Kingdom. And in reverse, he would sponsor 15 um, uh, students from the United Kingdom who would then go to the University of Pennsylvania. And um, the vast majority were law and economics type students. The Wharton Veterinary School at Pennsylvania was a, a big recipient of this. But Mrs. Turon was a great horse rider and lover. And um, so a few veterinary surgeons managed to get in. And John David knew all about this and he recommended to me that I should apply. One had to write a, a long application, which Jenny, who I got to know at Bristol Vet School, my, my lovely wife, she um, was uh, Professor uh, Grantsell's secretary, and um, she, uh, the professor of medicine, and uh, she helped me with the paperwork and my application. Um, I got through to the second round, which was a uh, um, a uh, um, in-person dinner, um, an evening in London, which was pretty new to me. Okay. But I managed to survive that. I had to give a, a lecture. Everyone else was talking about the state of the world. Um, but I decided uh, my mother was a great homemade winemaker. I, I gave a lecture on the homemade winemaking industry of Sussex, and um, <laughs> uh, this seemed to go down very well. And I found myself sitting next to Mrs. Du Mrs. Um, Turon at, at dinner, um, and uh, we had a lovely chat, and um, to my great um, surprise and uh, glee, uh, I was awarded a fellowship at the University of Pennsylvania. Wine and horses. <laughs> Wine and horses, yeah. Um, and uh, to my other e ecstasy, Peter Rosdale heard about all this and um, decided to ask me to come to Newmarket and meet him. I'd, he was a very, very busy man when I was at the practice. And so I, I met him in passing sort of thing, but didn't get to know him very well. But anyway, um, uh, Michael Hunt had obviously chatted to him about me and uh, they had me down and, and had a, we had a chat and they offered me uh, a, an assistantship with a view to partnership when I came back from America, which was absolutely amazing. That I that I would made me the fifth veterinary surgeon, and um, uh, that was incredible. And the practice was quite um, in its early stages at that point, wasn't it? Very much so. It was only in Newmarket at Beaufort Cottage Stables. Peter had bought Beaufort Cottage Stables from Mr. Lloyd of Ruston and Lloyd's the solicitors. Um, uh, it had been used, obviously it was a, a training stable. Um, Dick Perriman trained uh, a horse to win the derby um, uh, there previously. And um, uh, uh, so they shared the, the, the facilities with Dick Perriman to start with, Peter okay. and, and Michael. And then the practice started to grow and Dick Perriman was ageing. And so they took the whole yard over. Um, but um, it, and it was a, a nice place to start. And um, uh, uh, first person to join was uh, Colin Peace, who joined and um, from Cambridge University and uh, became the first surgeon there and was a pioneering first surgeon, particularly in colic surgery, which, um, you know, was really not done in, the, in those days. Um, and then um, Raymond Hopes joined 
uh, to head up the um, horses in training section. Both Peter and Michael were, did some horses in training, but uh, were, their heart was in stud medicine. And uh, so Raymond, who'd come from um, Lambourne area, um, he uh, headed up the horses in training air, uh, section of the practice and, and developed that. Um, I uh, one of the reasons why my introduction, I suppose, was was opportune was that uh, Leo Mahathy had uh, left the Animal Health Trust. He was an Australian pathologist, and uh, he was a great friend of Peter's, or became a great friend of Peter's. And um, he started the embryonic uh, clinical pathology laboratory at Rosdale's there, but sadly he died unexpectedly. Um, uh, uh, really, uh, when I was in America, and um, so therefore, when I came back, having done a, an honours BSc in biochemistry, intercalated in my course, um, uh, I obviously have an interest in that field, and um, that rather fitted well, I think, in Peter's mind as for the future of the laboratory, which he was trying to hold together, um, as well as looking after far too many stud farms. And so um, I came as his uh, assistant to start with, um, helping him. And uh, he immediately gave me responsibility for the laboratory, and which was embryonic, which again with Jenny, Jenny had been um, uh, a secretary in many areas at Langford, and uh, she um, had experience of, of helping uh, the uh, clinical pathology laboratory at, um, at Langford, and so that fitted very, very well. And we became a great team. Yeah. So um, that's, that's, how it all, that's how it always started, why I was a vet and why I worked with horses. Yeah, and of course it's developed into both the stud side of the practice and the laboratory in particular, well not so much in particular, but in addition, has become world-renowned. And the laboratory is something, when I said why a vet and why horses, I should have said, and why a laboratory? <laughs> the original, you've just explained how that um, occurred. And, yes. and both went from strength to strength. What was... Going back to being Peter's assistant, uh, Peter Rostyle is someone I very uh, fortunately met um, for not long enough, never had the pleasure of working with him. What was it like to be Peter's assistant? Well, it was very interesting. He, he was a, a, an eccentric and interesting person. Um, he worked at breakneck speed um, 24 hours a day, um, 365 days of the year as needed by his clients. He was the son of a, an eminent veterinary, uh, eminent um, medical practitioner in London and uh, he obviously took his lead from that. He was a um, he, he gave great responsibility to people working under him but he demanded um, uh, very high standards and that was good for me because um, it uh, made me um, pay attention and um, uh, follow his lead. And um, uh, undoubtedly, I, my life is one of standing on the shoulders of, of great men, in particular Peter Rosdale. He, um, his clients loved him. And um, because they could see that he was completely dedicated to looking after their and their horses' needs. And uh, he was providing a, a level of science and new thinking and new inquiring um, methods of practice and new channels of treatment um, that they found very refreshing and exciting. And uh, he made tremendous friends. And um, uh, it was it was a, a great honour to work with him. Um, but then, when he had decided that you'd helped him enough, as it were, then he'd move on and uh, to to someone new, and he'd give you responsibility then to take over. This was the whole his whole idea. Um, whether he knew it was his whole idea, but it, it was his. You could see it was his whole idea was to grow this 
practice which was going to be something special. Yeah, and that's a very unique characteristic in people to be that high demanding, that dedicated, and then almost just hand over yes. chunks of work to yes. people. Yes. Uh, you know, that, that seemed yes. like there was very little ego attached to him and his work, and it was for the greater good. Really. Absolutely, yes, and to, for the benefit of young mm. people. Yeah, for the for the great benefit of young people, and I hope many, 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 many people come came through his hands, and you meet people all over the world who um, has spent time with Peter Rosdale, and they all have nothing but admiration for him and, and great gratitude. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm assuming um, from that that my next question to everybody is: Who are the legends you've looked to, up to in your career? And I'm uh, taking. Uh, that is as absolute that Peter is one of those legends in your career. And oh, ab- absolutely instrumental. Absolutely, and probably one of the, the pinnacles. But um, I have a lot of legends, and um, or maybe I should call them mentors. And I think I think it's very important for young people of all shapes and sizes and all positions in life. To have mentors, I, I can't. I, looking back, without mentors, I, I just don't know how I would have uh, enjoyed my life in the way that I have. Um, thinking about a list, if you like, first of all, at the University of Bristol, um, I had Jim Pinson, Professor uh, Dr. Jim Pinson, who was. Um, the head of the medicine section there, who was a wonderful man. Um, uh, He really gave, um, to a certain extent, he gave um, sermons rather than lectures. He'd been in practice um, and he'd been teaching at Liverpool and at at Bristol veterinary schools. And uh, he was a tremendous teacher. He, he, he was a, probably a nightmare to the university because uh, we, we knew he'd come back from the practice teaching unit in the evening and we'd have a cup of tea ready for him. And um, he'd, he'd sit at his desk and we'd sit at his feet on the concrete floor and ask him questions and he'd, uh, about his life in practice. And he'd just go on and rather than getting on with his paperwork, and his records and all the rest of it, he talked to us. And he was absolutely marvellous. And I can still remember many of the tips that he gave us in his lectures now um, and uh, have held me in good stead over many years. Then there was Harold Pearson, Professor Pearson, who um, was head of the surgery unit. And he was a totally different character and quite a difficult man to get to know. But watching his hands, I've never, honestly, I've never seen a surgeon whose hands danced like his. And that's the only way I can describe it. My jaw dropped watching his hands dance. And uh, I thought to myself, gosh, um, I don't think I'm ever going to be like that. (laughs) So surgery was, I enjoyed surgery and some parts of surgery, but it never became my forte. John David was another great mentor. He was a wonderful man to talk to. Um, He was uh, the equine reproduction person or the veterinary reproduction person at Bristol. He was uh, a great Welshman. He he sang or led a quarter of the Cardiff Arms Park crowd in uh, community singing when Wales played at home. And um, uh, but he was a great entertainer and a wonderful t- teacher and a great advisor. And he, uh, in fact, in, in the end, he um, he was one of the examiners for my uh, RCVS fellowship thesis and gave me some very good advice. And the other person who was tremendously helpful to me at Bristol was a gentleman called Arthur Addicott, who was a Somerset uh, farming and hunting man who'd worked with horses all his life and he looked after the horses in the hos- what was then the hospital yard and he used to chase students out because horses needed to rest in the afternoons and things like this and, but if you got to know him well 
and he sort of talked to you, if you like. I don't know why he would take to me, but anyway, he, he became very helpful, and he used to tip me off about times when if I popped in, I could see this horse that had, that had listen, bring my stethoscope and it had an interesting heart, or another one that had an interesting leg to feel, or another one that, something like that. And and I found him tremendously helpful. He, he, I'd like to think that he saw something in me uh, that was worth helping. And um, because I had really no background with being brought up with horses at all. And so uh, learning how to put bridles on and uh, doing things like that, which we learned then in, in animal management um, there at Bristol, which I'm not sure whether it's, it's taught anymore, but that was all vitally important to me because, um, and learning how to approach a horse and how not to get bitten by it and how to not get kicked and how to uh, approach it as a veterinary yeah, surgeon and get to the horse's um, hopefully respect um, was very important. And he played an important part in that. And so I'd like to acknowledge him. My foster vet, who I've mentioned before, Di Williams from Salisbury, sadly died early, a Cheshire uh, butcher's son, he was a marvellous, marvellous practical veterinary surgeon, good thinker and, and educator and examiner at Bristol. And as I said before, he um, uh, was basically a mixed large animal veterinary surgeon, but, but he had these two major stud farms in the Salisbury area. And I'd never been exposed to this sort of work, the examination of mares internally, their ovaries and their reproductive systems and monitoring them for getting covered by the stallions and and then the pregnancies. And my eyes widened and my ears opened and I thought, this, this is just wonderful work and it's very enjoyable and I'd really like to, to, to do more of this. He, he knew about my interest in biochemistry at Bristol and asked me, in fact, to start the, uh, the, the practice laboratory really? there, which they didn't have anything. So we started by buying a microscope and um, a hemocytometer chamber and um, uh, doing fecal worm egg counts and things like that. And, and I, I had the honour of, of, of starting their practice laboratory, which I'm sure now is, is, um, is top class. Um, but he also gave me, once he saw the way my uh, interest was working, he gave me a wonderful piece of advice. And it, maybe it sounds a little bit like blowing our trumpets, but I remember his precise words. He said, Sydney, you must um, do your specialist equine practice, seeing practice at the new Rosdale and Hunt practice at Newmarket, he said, they will undoubtedly set the equine veterinary world on fire. <laughs> and uh, in the fullness of time, I th think that he wasn't wrong. Mm. And I'm very proud of that. And uh, I'm very thankful for him for giving me that advice. And again, I can't thank Peter Michael Hunt uh, um, uh, enough for actually agreeing when I phoned up mm -hmm. and spoke to the secretary. I got the message back that Mr. Hunt would would let me see practice with him. And I, I don't know whether Di Williams ever spoke to Michael, but anyway, I realise now what an honour that was. And I would say, in addition to that, that a lot of that fire was fueled by your work as well um, you know the Rostells did become incredibly successful and are incredibly successful and a huge amount of that is well the reason why being interviewed as a beaver legend so uh, a lot of that was due to your your input into the practice and I don't think anyone would uh, say anything different well it's very kind of you to say that um, and uh, thank you um, so at Rosdale's, obviously, Michael Hunt and Peter Rosdale were tremendous legends that I look up to. Um, and then my colleague or friend and fellow student from Bristol, Nick Wingfield Digby, who was a, a, a year um, behind me, he 
joined the practice and uh, we've had a wonderful relationship over many, many years. And uh, I can't thank him enough for his friendship, his support, his guidance and his uh, wise words, words at times when I've needed them. Mm. And you're still good friends with Nick today. Oh, very good, yeah. yes. He was my best man when I married Jenny in 1973. And um, he's, he uh, and I and uh, now Delia and Jenny have been great friends mm. for all this time. And uh, he, he's a legend to me. And, of course, Tim Greet. Tim uh, uh, Greet replaced... Um, Colin Peace, who was headhunted to go to um, uh, the University of Guelph in Canada, and <clears throat> he took over the reins of the surgical side of the practice. And it's it's undoubtedly thanks to Tim Greet and his, the wonderful work that he has done um, that uh, Rosdales have the wonderful hospital that they have now with the surgical facilities there. And he and I work closely together in the development of the hospital site and um, uh, which has been such a great success and, and I hope will continue forever. At the University of, of Pennsylvania, New Bolton Centre, again, again, wonderful mentors. It was a, seems to be a, ti- a time when there were people at the veterinary schools who uh, had um, experience both in practice and in academia and wanted to give this advice and help to students, particularly those that they seem to get to know. And uh, I was very lucky to be a student at that time, I believe. Professor Charles Raker, who was head of the school, he was a very, very kind man. He, I can remember his first words to me um, uh, that he would give me, he wanted to warn me that he was going to give me, uh, and, you know, as a raw student from the United Kingdom, we were a little short on practical experience as composed to the American students. Um, And he said, I'm going to give you a lot of um, responsibility early. He said, and I'm sure that you will thrive. But he said, if you get yourself into trouble for the want of asking for help and advice, he said, you are in trouble. He said, if you get yourself into trouble and you've asked for help and advice and taken it, he said, I shall back you to the hilt. So he says, be warned. (laughs) Um, So he was a great friend and he followed my career afterwards until he died and he used to write me lovely letters and that meant a lot to me. Um, Dr. Charles Reed, the head of radiography, was a man who had seen it all, done it all, and he could put the x-rays together with the horse and what had happened and what was going to happen. And I found him a tremendous source of uh, kind help and, um, uh, and, and advice. Um, I sat at the feet of Dr. Bob Kenny, um, who was head of reproduction, well, not head, but he was a senior man in the reproduction department at that time. And, of course, he was the first person to um, publicise the use of, devise the use of endometrial biopsy, which became a great interest to mine in practice. And I sat at his feet and, um, and he was very kind to give me a lot of advice. And then there was Dr Jim Rooney, who wrote the textbook on equine pathology, Um, And he was a very flamboyant character, but a great lecturer and a great demonstrator of of equine pathology. And I learned a great deal sitting at his feet. At the end of my time at uh, New Bolton, I tacked on a month at um, Hagger Davis McGee in Lexington. And... Again, Bill McGee very, very kindly agreed to take me, take me on. And he was such a kind man, such a kind man, and introduced me to his family and I had meals there. And he took me around day to day and I saw the way that um, equine stud medicine was practised 
in uh, Lexington. And that was very, very helpful. And I thank him from the bottom of my heart. He was a great um, mentor at that time. And I also would just like to pick out Art Davidson, who I didn't spend a lot of time with, but he was the senior man in the uh, horses in training side there, both thoroughbred and standard bred. And I, I think other than Raymond Hopes, who has the same approach, kind, um, um, quiet, confident approach to a horse, um, Art Davidson showed me what it was to approach horses in the right way um, and to um, get their confidence. And uh, I'd seen a number of veterinary surgeons who over my time that by then that, you know, they would upset a horse by the way that they approached them. And both Art Davidson and, and Raymond Hopes were two magicians in that area and they taught me a great deal. Um, so that single month that, uh, in Kentucky was a great help. And then back here, following on from the work at Rossdale's, um, I was privileged to be practicing here when contagious equine metritis hit Newmarket in 1977. And Charles Frank, a veterinary surgeon, a very experienced veterinary surgeon from uh, the Lambord area, um, was uh, asked to be, uh, I think he was head of the HBLB, Horse Race Betting Levy Board Committee, investigating this condition, the cause of which was unknown at that time. And he very kindly co-opted me to the committee. And then subsequently, he co-opted me to the um, Thoroughbred Breezes Association Veterinary Committee, which he was chairman of. And that led to my 45 years serving on the TBA Veterinary Committee and still being their joint veterinary advisor. And uh, I, I thank him very much for his, um, his intervention and, uh, and getting me involved with those two important committees, which I'm very proud of. Um, and another mentor, really, is, is Kirsten Rousing. Um, the owner of uh, Landwade's Stud in Newmarket and, of course, uh, an international businesswoman. I've been very impressed to get to know her and to um, uh, lead an active role as joint veterinary advisor for her Alvarado Trust, um, uh, which provides funding for equine veterinary research. And... Um, uh, that's uh, uh, been a great part of my life in retirement, and I thank her for that and for the advice that she's given me. And uh, probably not lastly, but the last one on my list, many of my clients. Mm. I've got to know, I've had been lucky in life to have the most wonderful clients, and many of them have become friends. And um, I'm very, very grateful to them for that. It's, it, to me, being a veterinary surgeon is not just looking after animals, it's looking after their owners, trainers, riders, whatever. Um, unless you look, 50-50, unless you look after both the people and the horses, um, uh, you won't be as successful. And the horses are usually the easy bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I think if you if you give the service that they're looking for and they respect you for the service that you're... You don't have to be right all the time. Uh, you don't have to create um, magic all the time. But um, if you they see that you've really given a good service, tried your best... You've given them good right advice at the right time. You've been there for them at the right time. And um, they, which they, many of them were round the clock. Yeah. And therefore, one has to be available when they want you. Yeah. And if, they, if you show them that that's the way you work, they will become good friends, they will respect you, and they'll ask you to look after their horses and they'll recommend you to other good people. And, and that's the way I believe that Rossdales have developed the practice that they have. From the five vets, when I joined, I was number five 
there are now more than 60 veterinary surgeons working at Rosdale's and as you well know, and uh, there are, um, we, uh, the Rosdales have a, uh, a world-leading equine hospital as well as a practice. Uh, they have branch practices, and um, uh, it, it's a very big organization compared with the little five-vet practice that I joined in 1972. So I've been so privileged to have all these mentors that have been very, very important to me during my career. I think that's it. And my life. Yeah. Because my life has been my career. Yeah, very much. And as a, I think as you explained yourself, it's the importance of mentors on your career can never be undervalued for anybody, really. And I think, you know, you've emphasised that and explained why that, that has happened. And... Um, you've become a better vet and the practice that you've worked in has become a better practice with those mentors and, and as you said early on standing on people other people's shoulders is always the best way to fulfil your life and, um, and create the practice uh, that we now have today so just as a little interval for work um, my next question to you is what are your passions away from work and at the moment obviously you've as many of our listeners know, you retired a few years ago, so hopefully you've managed to fulfil a few more of those passions since retiring. Um, but what, what what do you enjoy out of the equine veterinary world and the equine industry? Well, fundamentally and most importantly, my family. Yeah. I'm lucky, lucky, very lucky to have a wonderful <coughs> wife, a very supportive wife, Jenny, uh, I met at uh, the University of Bristol when I was a student. Uh, and as I said before, she helped me with my uh, tour on application. Um, I went to America. Jenny went to South Africa. We met when um, we both came back at uh, Langford Games and um, uh, got together again. And Peter Rosdale was looking for a new secretary. And I said to him, I know a very good <laughs> veterinary secretary. And uh, the rest is, is history. And we've been a great team. Jenny has been so supportive to me. Uh, a farmer's daughter, she, she knows how important it is that a veterinary surgeon is available when needed at a farm when the stock are ill or injured and um, she knows what it's like on a Christmas day when uh, her father needs to go and see an animal. And so she's always been supportive to me and um, uh, understanding in the fact that, you know, when I need to go, I need to go. Um, we love walking and um, in the wilds and the... Uh, the wild environment and so we still do quite a lot of walking we're lucky uh, when we first came jenny from the mendip area of somerset and me from the weald of sussex between the south and the north downs we both thought that uh, east anglia was going to be very flat and um, difficult perhaps to to get to love but the very reverse is true we east anglia is the most wonderfully beautiful place in a different way um, with its skies and its sunsets and its uh, wildlife and uh, with its waterways and its um, uh, wetlands and its um, uh, way of life and um, we, we, we love it and there are so many areas that one can walk here um, with our little dog, um, and uh, we, we, we've grown to absolutely love it. Um, we've done a fair amount of narrow boating um, okay. in our time, uh, uh, not to the extent that we've bought a boat, but uh, we've enjoyed that. And when I um, retired, which of course was quite a watershed in our lives, Jenny decided that I needed some diversion <laughs> and she bought me Mary Berry's baking book and said you like cakes 
you can be the family baker. So I now um, do bake for, for the family and um, I, I get some good ratings sometimes. So we're going to see you on TV? So that's all right. Soon. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> I think that would be far too stressful for, <laughs> for an old man in, um, in, in retirement. And the other thing is uh, having the uh, honour of living in a lovely old house next to the historic church in Exning and listening to the bells um, I, I learned to bell ring as soon as I okay. um, to uh, as soon as I retired and um, uh, I now consider myself a bell ringer so um, uh, and that's great fun and I ring at both at Exning Church and Newmarket Church um, and um, uh, that's great fun I was uh, distraught when Her Majesty died, um, as we were on holiday in uh, North Yorkshire. And uh, so I thought uh, I should be at Exning and Newmarket the following morning. So I rang and made sure that they had enough ringers, which they did. And then I um, uh, remembered that there was a very good I'd been told there was a very good church next to Whitby Abbey in North Yorkshire. And so we drove to Whitby Abbey the next morning and sat with the idea of sitting on a bench and listening to the bells toll for Her Majesty. And when we arrived half an hour early, there was uh, the door to the church was ajar. So I said to Jenny, I'll just pop in and have a look. And it was a lovely old church. And I could see the door to the ringing chamber was ajar. So I poked my head around the corner and a very nice lady in there who looked rather um, harassed said, are you a ringer? So I said, well, sort of. <laughs> so, oh, please come and help us. There's only my husband and I, and he's up the tower putting the muffles on. So um, I rang for Her Majesty, shared with them the tolling bell um, for, the, for an hour from 12 till 1 at Whitby, um, St Mary's Church, next to the Abbey. Um, Very famous which, church. Um, which was, was a great honour, yeah. and uh, I felt that I'd done my duty. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> as I say. It's an actually really famous church. It's been immortalised in, well, in Dracula, yes. obviously. And, yes. and, and, of course, Peter wrote a book yes. on Whitby. He did, uh, he did yes. Fate, he I did. Think. He told me a lot about it, and so we, we, we enjoyed seeing Whitby and thinking of Peter. Yeah, beautiful place. So those really, um, uh, those are my, my, my passions, reading and doing all sorts of things that I've not had much time for before. So. And, and the other thing is to try to keep up with what's going on at Rosdale's, which <laughs> has been the great interest of my life and always will be until the day I depart. Yeah, well, you don't live too far away from the hospital. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, so moving back to your career um, and... Um, the question is, would you do anything different in your career if you did it again now? Well, I hope this doesn't sound a bit cocky, but honestly, I can't think of anything substantial that I would do differently. I've had the most wonderful way of life. I always consider, and I've told many young people over the years who've sometimes looked at me quizzically, that I have never had a job. I've never had a job. I've had the most wonderful way of life that anyone could ever have. Um, I've had the wonderful support of my wife and family, and I've been exceedingly lucky. So I, I cannot think of, a, of an obvious thing that I think, God, I wish I'd done that differently. You know, I've been a very, very lucky man, both personally and um, privately. And I said um, to many of the students that I've um, uh, taught over the years at Bristol and the Royal Veterinary College in Cambridge that um, uh, I've been very, very lucky. I've never have had a job. I've had a most wonderful way of life. And um, for that, I'm exceedingly grateful. Well, that's lovely, lovely to hear. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's brilliant to hear that, 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 that someone like yourself um, has had such a... Um, a happy career and have enjoyed it from start to finish um, and uh, yeah what would you say would your biggest failure 
in your career be? And did it change you in any way? Yes. Well, I suppose I can't think of a really big catastrophe. That's good. <laughs> um, I, I honestly can't. It, it, it seems as if I've got a selective memory, but um, I honestly cannot think so. But undoubtedly, my difficulty when senior partner of Rosdale's was to understand um, and come to terms with the fact that the world was changing particularly to understand the needs of colleagues who I have to say were very few in number who did not look upon their career at Rosdale's in my humble opinion as a way of life in the way that I did. Um, I suppose I expected everybody to uh, to think in, in, in the same way that me which was, was uh, probably stupid. Um, and thankfully this didn't lead to absolute catastrophe but it led to changes in partnership options at Rosdale and eventually to my retirement, and uh, which uh, was quite right. Um, uh, we, we, we discussed this in terms of the good of the practice and came to the conclusion that partners should retire at 65. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I think that that was right. There's no doubt that chasing horses with colic around a box uh, when you're 65 is not perhaps as safe as it was when you were younger. And also, the even more important part is the practice, if it's a good practice, uh, gains wonderful what I call top guns. I like to think I was a top gun in 1972, uh, and Peter saw that in me. And I saw top guns in our practice when I was in my 60s. And they will not wait forever for partnerships. And if, if um, ageing partners um, don't retire, they will move on and the practice will lose them. And that's a tragedy. So therefore, we uh, decided that we would, um, uh, the part- partners decided that they would retire their partnership at age 65. And I was the first partner to, to, to come to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the legal... Beagles said, oh, we can, we can fight that on ageism. And I said, absolutely not. It's the right thing to do for the partnership. Um, and um, uh, young Top Guns took over my areas of responsibility within the practice and are now do, uh, looking after it in a much better way than I did. And um, so the partnership um, thrives and the practice um, uh, thrives too and um, it's absolutely the right thing to do and I was a bit slow to understand that perhaps but um, I don't look upon it as a catastrophe it was uh, an evolution and your family have benefited from more cakes being baked I hope so yes I hope so no that's great so um You've mentioned a few things along the way and, and, and feel free to emphasise those now, but what would you say would be the things that you're the most proud of in your career? Okay, well, that's um, I've got, again, a, a long list. Um, firstly, of course, my family. I love my wife, sons, daughter-in-law-laws, uh, granddaughters dearly and love spending time with all of them. And that has to be uh, number one, and particularly in retirement. Um, it's a great joy and a wonderful thing to, to, to have. Secondly, being offered an assistantship with a view to partnership at Peter Rosdale's practice in 1972, and for being a part of its equine practices and its pathology laboratory's successful growth and development from five vets then to 60 and more vets now over a period of 40 years and now in retirement being retained as a consultant, which is a great honour. Being encouraged by Peter Rosdale and supported by my wife Jenny uh, as a wife and a secretary to gain my RCVS fellowship by thesis. It was called Histological and Histopathological Studies on the Endometrium of the Mare in 1978. Um, Peter was very much uh, the driver for that and and, uh, the encourager. 
and and Jenny, with her um, experience of helping um, young um, veterinary surgeons at Bristol with their uh, PhD theses, was a tremendous help of getting it onto paper and um, uh, getting it into for examination. Um, being awarded foundation diplomate status in equine stud medicine by the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons and rec recognised specialist status in 1991 and for examining candidates for the RCVS equine stud medicine certificate and diploma, which I did for 10 years from 1988. Being awarded honorary membership of Beaver in 1996 was a great uh, honour, um, and uh, Jenny was very, again very much a part of that, as we had run together a number of very successful um, equine stud medicine courses in Newmarket on behalf of Beaver. Um, I'm wonderfully proud of being awarded Lieutenant of the Royal Victorian Order by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II for services to the Royal Studs in 1998 when I was Senior Veterinary Advisor at Sandringham Stud. That has to be the great honour of my life. Mm. Being awarded membership of the European College of Equine Internal Medicine as a de facto specialist in 2002, being awarded Fellowship of the Royal College of Pathologists by submission of public works in 2004. Being given the opportunity to teach equine stud medicine to undergraduates at the University of Bristol Veterinary School, which I did for 31 years from 1985, and the Royal Veterinary College, which I did for seven years from 2011, and to teach equine medicine subjects at the University of Cambridge Department of Veterinary Medicine, which I did from for five years from 1990. To actually give something back and to teach veterinary students after the wonderful time that I'd had as a veterinary student was an enormous honour, pleasure, and it was, it was a Great fun. Mm. And I would have, um, I, I like to think that I got a good um, uh, response from the students, a number of which who would send me a postcard in the old days or an email uh, latterly uh, or a text message to say um, uh, that they'd enjoyed this or that and they got another question. And, and I, I, I got great pride and, and satisfaction from that. That's great. I was appointed Honorary Professor by the University of Bristol in 2001 and the Royal Veterinary College in 2007, which uh, I think in those days there weren't many people in, in, in practice who, 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 who got that. It's thankfully more common now, and the universities, I think, are looking towards uh, more partnerships with um, with, with people in practice, and uh, I hope uh, that will happen more and more. But it was a tremendous honour for me uh, to be awarded a chair, or two chairs, in fact. Being awarded Doctor of Science on Oris Causa by the University of Bristol in 2007 was another enormous honour with a wonderful oration from uh, uh, Joe Price, the head of the veterinary school. And um, this uh, was a tremendous honour. Um, and again, I was able to involve my, my whole family in the, in, in the day. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a very, very great honour, which I'm terribly proud of. Being a member of the British Horse Racing Authority's Veterinary Committee for 10 years from 2010, being chairman of the Equine Industries Committee, which was originally an animal health trust um, committee and um, following their demise now is really run on behalf of equine surveillance from 2012. Um, we have 75 um, people on the books from all over the world. Um, uh, which is a, a great um, uh, honor and achievement, I think. Uh, of growth again, and uh, I have the honour of following on f as chairman from Lord Porchester, Sir Michael Oswald and Kirsten Rousing. So how on earth I managed to get on the, that list, I have no idea at all, but it's a great honour, which I'm proud of. 
I'm very proud of co-authoring with Peter Rosdell, the, at the time, textbook Equine Stud Medicine, published in two volumes in 1975 and 1980. Um, we would have loved to have carried on, but there was an explosion in knowledge in um, equine stud medicine, as you can see from the textbooks, which are now multi-author uh, since. And uh, I, I started work on the third edition, and every time I got to the end of the first chapter, there were 16 more papers that I had to review to, to put in, and I just couldn't, I couldn't cope with the volume of new um, uh, research and, and, and uh, thought and ideas that were coming along, and so I'm afraid we didn't get any further. But I'm very, very um, uh, proud of, of, of having done that with Peter. And having authored or co-authored over during my career 98 research papers in peer-reviewed veterinary publications from practice, and uh, I am very um, impressive number honoured in practice with that. Mm, absolutely. Could we get another two to get the century? <laughs> it would be nice, wouldn't it? Yes. yes. Well, I'm still involved with um, with research projects in terms of of the funding, and I give some advice from time to time. So who knows, I might be able to uh, be considered part of the, the team occasionally. Yeah, It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, just get the century done. <laughs> um, so my last question now, um, and it's you can answer this in any way that fits with you, with you, but what three things would you say have been the most important thing to your career? These could be objects, people, Anything that you want. And if you were starting out your career again tomorrow, uh, you couldn't possibly do it without them. Okay. Well, um, number one, uh, we've discussed before, my wife and family and the tremendous teamwork that that's brought love and affection and um, comradeship and everything that goes in life without a wife and family to support and back you up and to grumble at you and to grumble at um, and to discuss things with um, life is much more difficult. And I've been charmed with a wonderful um, wife and family and for that I could not be without. Um, secondly, my many mentors. I've said many times today how important mentors have been to me and I believe to people in general um, from school to universities to seeing practice to Peter Rosdell and Michael Hunt and all my partners and colleagues at Newmarket and I could not have been a, I would not have been the person that I am today um, without those mentors um, and thirdly, the opportunities and interactions that my wonderful clients gave me, including friendship and hospitality. I honestly do believe that if they believe that you are giving a good service to them and their horses, they will continue to request your services, will recommend you to others, and some will become good friends. I think there is there's always been... Uh, to some extent, in young people prior to um, entering veterinary school and even to some um, students and even young veterinary surgeons, that it's all about looking after animals. That's 50% of the job. The other 50% is looking after the clients. As clients and as owners, managers, riders and whatever. And it... I honestly believe that in addition to the love and affection that one can give to your patients, the support and trust and um, friendship that you can gain from your clients um, is, is, is magical. And uh, I've been very lucky to have some wonderful, wonderful clients in my time. And uh, I know I've been very, very privileged and lucky. But um, in, in whatever way and whatever sphere one finds oneself in, I think that is obtainable. And within a... Um, within a uh, an ethos that 
you know, one's in it for a way of life. I think this makes things come together. And I come back to the fact that I've said to the students that I've taught many times, and uh, they've looked at me sometimes somewhat quizzically, but I've said, if I had to do the job again, for whatever reason, I would change nothing personally or professionally. And therefore, I consider myself to have been a very, very lucky man. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time for this incredible podcast. It's been enlightening, inspirational, and I'm sure I'm saying that on behalf of the listeners that will listen to this Be The Legends podcast, but thank you very much. It was uh, fascinating, and uh, thank you. And thank you, and thank you to Beaver. What a fascinating story. So thank you once again to Professor Ricketts for taking the time to speak to us. We'll be back with another podcast in a few months' time. Until then, goodbye. This episode of BeaverPod was produced by Beaver. For more details on the benefits of your Beaver membership and the products and services offered, please go to our website at www.beaver.org.uk.